It's time for This Week in the Big East, a comprehensive look at the teams, coaches, players, and the story tradition of the Big East Conference. Here are your hosts, longtime conference play-by-play announcer John Rook and Big East author and sports writer Kevin McNamara. Welcome to This Week in the Big East, our weekly look at the teams, coaches, players, and all the stories from the schools in the Big East Conference. I'm John Rook with Kevin McNamara. Episode 8 for 2021, and the teams in the Big East are very much beginning to feel that pressure just like one time Madison Square Garden Dennis and Billy Joel has performed in front of thousands you have to learn to pace yourself you're just like everybody else don't ask for help you're all alone you'll have to answer on your own I'm not singing that Kev and outside of Villanova and Creighton the rest of the league is scrapping fighting to stay alive to stay relevant and stay in front of the curve and in the minds of the selection committee when it comes to the upcoming NCAA tournament. So, Kev, I get the sense that over the past week or so, the Big East is kind of cannibalizing itself, maybe more so than usual. Is this a good thing for the competitiveness or a bad thing? Because what teams need now are quality wins. It's a bad thing. There's no two ways about it, John. In February, you want to see teams trending towards the NCAA tournament, not towards the bubble. And right now, outside of Villanova and Creighton, Everyone is either sliding or has work to do. The two that are sliding are St. John's and Xavier. They've both lost three of four. But needless to say, that's not what the committee is looking for. Okay, let's get on with it then and tamp dance into this crusade. We'll hit this week's Big East headlines. Villanova and Creighton move up this week in the AP Top 25. Wildcats 8th. Creighton moves up to 13th. Xavier also received votes in the poll at the beginning of the week. Nine Big East teams rank in the top 93 of the Ken Palm. Nine are also rated in the net top 100. The Wildcats turn the tables this week on St. John's. UConn continues its surge into the upper crust following the return of guard James Booknight from injury with two straight double-double performances. But contenders, Xavier and Seton Hall, as Kevin mentioned, they've stumbled with losses at Providence and Butler. The playoff picture is becoming quite the puzzle. Providence, Georgetown, and Marquette may have opened a few eyes of late. Friars had success in recent seasons with late runs. The Hoyas have won four of six going into the week. And then the Golden Eagles received a golden gift from North Carolina in the form of a late-added non-league trip to Chapel Hill and a big win for Marquette. Home teams are throwing their weight around of late, despite the lack of crowds in home arenas and gyms. Going into this weekend, home teams have won 10 of the past 12 Big East games. That's as dominant as the home team has been at any point this season. Now 45 and 35 overall for the year. So what do we make of this sudden shift in performances and some of those surprises, Kev? Well, the home team is, is an interesting shift. I'm not, actually, I'm not quite sure. That makes no sense at all because I don't think anything has changed, obviously, as far as fans. I will say grinding out games and wins at this point of the season is the toughest thing to do in college basketball yep. because at this point, these teams are heavily scouted. You're often playing a team a second time. And as we've already talked about, the pressure of getting off that bubble and getting those key late season wins, it can wear on any team, no matter what the age. What did you think of the idea of Marquette and North Carolina getting together for that, uh, that late scheduled game? It's almost like, hey, they tweeted out, Marquette answered them, and boom, we got a game. You have to give so much credit to Steve Wojciechowski and his group for saying, sure, well, why not? Great experience. You know, Marquette's not going to the NCAA tournament unless it can win the Big East tournament. Talk about a bait, you know, great prep game for a Big East tournament. Chapel Hill will check the box, but I had to love 
Roy Williams, the Tar Heel coach afterwards saying, geez, Roy, why would you do that? And he basically said, well, if I knew we were going to lose, I wouldn't have. <laughs> no question. Hey, one quick addendum about that game, though. Dawson Garcia had a double-double for the Golden Eagles on that one. Is he back in the freshman of the year conversation, especially because Posh Alexander at St. John's now has this hand injury? Well, I think we all assume that Posh Alexander would kind of guide St. John's right into the NCAA tournament, NCAA tournament mix. St. John's is still there, but they have, they have to close. And I'll be very interested to see if Dawson Garcia closes better than Posh Alexander and St. John's. It's all about closing right now, of course. As always, thank you to our Westwood One affiliate stations for tuning in. Thanks for catching us on SiriusXM. If you're listening on the podcast, take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review us. You can find us on Apple and Google, iHeart, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Castro, CastBox, PodFriend, all our podcast partners this year. And for more on the podcast, we've got a website, twitb.buzzsprout.com. You can also listen to the show online, westwoodonesports.com and on bigeast.com. Inside episode eight this week, is there a possibility a current outlier in the league standings finds its way into the madness? The Sporting News and Fox analyst Mike DeCourcy will join us to gauge that opportunity. Just how will this NCAA tournament, a tournament like we've never seen or experienced before, work out this year? Can it be pulled off? The NCAA's Vice President of Basketball, Dan Gavitt, will take us through the latest details. And our reference to Billy Joel's pressure up at the top, well, it's up close and personal for a team like Providence. But the Friars are used to it with late-season runs in the recent past. Head coach Ed Cooley will join us to reference this year's possibility next. This Week in the Big East. Coming up this week in the Big East Spotlight. Big East Spotlight. Reeves, Horkler out front for Duke. Duke top of the key, drives on Martin, goes right to the rim, flips it Ooh. over his head from the left side and scores. David Dukes had the A game today. That was a super move right there to get that ball out of the Just basket. going to say it looks like David's got the confidence back again. The Friars could certainly use it. The Providence Friars have a 1-2 inside-outside presence and punch that few teams can really match this season in all Big East candidates, Nate Watson and David Duke. But consistency has been the issue for the Friars, along with the realization that defense can keep you in games, a lack of it can take you right out again. Head coach Ed Cooley joins us this week in the Big East, and I know you preach it. It's not the prettiest way to play sometimes. How do you get your guys to really buy in when it comes to defending on the floor in this conference? You know, unfortunately, uh, like you uh talked about is our inconsistency be able to guard the ball and finish defensive possessions and that means rebounding it and you know you got to show them film you got to walk through it in practice uh you have to put a heavy emphasis on it um and those are the things we've just been very inconsistent throughout this entire season yet you know i think the last couple of games we have improved we have gotten better and it really starts with the mentality and mindset of it if our players can continue to focus in on that the ball's not always going to go in the basket, but defense travels, energy travels, and toughness travels. If we can do that, we're going to position ourselves to win games. Ed, you've had an interesting uh, schedule situation because you've had no pauses, unlike most other teams in the Big East and around the country. But that's allowed a week of practice into uh, the Xavier game where you played maybe one of your best you know, uh, games of the year on both sides of the ball. Now you may have another week off. Uh, do you see these as advantages leading into March? Well, I think you can look at it a couple of different ways. I mean, if you're playing really well, you really don't probably want to stop at gym play. If you've been inconsistent the way we have been up and down all year, it gives you a chance to fine-tune and get healthy. This week off allowed us to get Jared Bynum a little bit more healthier. 
as you can see, he went, I think, from eight or nine minutes to 14 minutes, now to 20-something minutes. Uh, so that's really helped us. So um, we've enjoyed the time off because I think we're improving and uh, our chemistry is improving more and more as well. Ed Cooley, Providence head coach, joining us this week in the Big East. So, Ed, because of the the, the up-and-down nature of, of the season, uh, on the floor and off the floor, the fact that you have two performers that have tried to keep you steady and keep you in games overall, as I mentioned off the top, like Nate Watson and David Duke, I know that has to be a blessing. Has it also been a curse in some way just because of the development of the other guys that need to step up in order for your team to become more complete? I don't know if I'd call it a curse, Brooke. I mean, you know, the other guy's got to step up, you know, yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, our known is David and, uh, and, and Nate, you know, but we also have a veteran and AJ, we have a, you know, a, a third year college player in uh, a third year college player in um, uh, Jared Bynum, um, you know, Noah Hawker's starting to come along a little bit. I mean, we may be young and, and experienced in the big East on the floor, but we have some older guys that, you know, if we're going to be a team to be reckoned with in this Big East tournament that's coming up, everybody got to step up, including myself. Uh, Ed, we've talked an awful lot about David on this show, maybe not as much about Nate. Uh, his improvement offensively to score with both hands. Uh, he, he, oftentimes he takes shots you're like, wow, that, that's an un unorthodox, weird shot, and it goes in. His shooting percentage is roughly 60%, uh, maybe the, the best low post scorer in the league. Can you just talk about uh, Nate's improvement and now consistency, especially offensively? Oh, yes. I mean, I think he's really worked at it. I think this is the year, you know, when you're coaching big guys like that, when the light bulb comes on for them, when the light comes on for big guys, you know, their ceiling grows a little bit higher. He has, I mean, he works at it every single day. He's one of the first ones in practice, one of the last ones out. And another one of his improvements have come from the free throw line. You know, he spends a lot of time, left hand, right hand, short post, mid post. He's worked on a 15 to 17 foot face up jump shot. Um, and he's been working a lot from the free throw line. So I give him and our staff a lot of credit uh, just every day working on it, working on it, working on it. And now he's getting a little bit more comfortable with the double teams. Coaches are just not going to let him play bully ball one on one in the middle of the box. Yeah, we actually saw against Xavier on Wednesday night where they chose early not to double him down low. And it was almost like that was unfair. Then they came in late and he was still able to muscle his way in against some pretty tough matchups. So Nate has grown tremendously, not I think on only on a on a physical sense, coach, but from what I've seen on an intelligence sense as well in that regard. Some of that development has, has been through film. And, and a lot of the film he's been doing uh, has been with the coaches on his own. You know, when we're on the plane or on the bus, you can see him studying film, which is good. I think when you become a student of the game, you, you become that much better of a player because, you know, you really bought in. Ed, where you sit right now between now and the, and the Big East tournament, are you telling your players, hey, we don't want to lose again? We, we want to get to the Big East tournament final and win? Or is it truly you're just worried about, you know, the next game at St. John's? I think you have to be realistic, and that's always one thing I am. I'm very vulnerable with our players and our, and our program. You know, we talk about the NCAA tournament, yet at the same time, the one thing we don't want to do is be swept. The next two opponents, as, as Xavier beat us at their place, Villanova beat us at their place, and St. John's beat us at our place. You know, so if you kind of go by that theory and then go into the Big East tournament, uh, you know, with a little momentum, you're going to give yourself an opportunity. Um, th this group has been different. I don't want to you know, go big picture too, too much, rather take away, uh, take, take the present and kind of handle that. And as we get, you know, to the week of the Big East tournament, let's see where our record is. Let's see where we are on the national level. 
you know, I mean, realistically, man, we're going to have to win a lot more games in order for us to be a postseason worthy team. Well, we've had a chance to speak with David Duke earlier this year, Coach, and and it's pretty clear what he can offer, not only to your team, but really to basketball fans everywhere because he's so multi-talented. He was one rebound and one assist away from a triple-double against the Musketeers uh, earlier this week. But who else beyond David and Nate really needs to be there for this team to realize its potential? I think it's a great question. Um, I think it starts with AJ. Uh, You know, he's a a 30-minute-a-game guy. We need, him, we need him to be more consistent on both ends of the floor. You know, in particular, our ball screen defensive coverage, you know, uh, more catch and shoot threes, um, driving it in transition, getting to the basket because he's become a very, very good free throw shooter. So we got to get him more free throw attempts. Uh, I think Noah has to continue to develop. And I think you're seeing that more with game time and his, uh, his confidence. And Jared Bynum, you know, uh, Jared is coming in. Uh, I thought he played really, really well against Xavier. I thought his two days of preparation and practice were really good. Ed Croswell, uh, you know, has given us some quality minutes as well as Alan Breed, you know, and that's, uh, that's been the core. Greg Gann is, is, is nursing a injury. So that's why he was so limited yesterday. And once he gets healthy again, that core group's got to give us the best chance to try to make a run here in his biggest tournament. Hey, Ed, last one. Uh, the Big East right now, I think most prognosticators would say that Villanova and Creighton are in the tournament. And then when, you know, uh, a Seton Hall goes to Butler, it's a, quote, a bad loss. When Xavier can't beat Providence, it's a bad loss. Uh, last time I checked, I, I, I think Providence and St. John's and uh, even Butler and Georgetown, they, they've shown that they can beat a lot of good teams. How do right. you think this can be reflected on Selection Sunday? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a conundrum. I really do. I mean, it, it talks about the depth and the quality of the Big East. A, a lot of teams can beat one another. You know, you you look at you know St. John's and you know they manhandle one of the best teams in the country on their home court, and then you know then Villanova turns around and manhandles them. Um, they, uh, you, you got you got to play every night. There's not an off night. You, you got to buckle up. You 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 got to put your helmet on and you got to get in there and fight. I still think there's going to be five or six worthy Big East teams based on the strength of the league. You know, um, many people are talking about other leagues. I still think the Big East is not spoken about enough on the national level with the quality of coaching, the quality of play, and the quality of players night in and night out on, on that stage. That's Providence head coach Ed Cooley. Next up, who's hot? Plus, our blast from the past is a colorful reminder that not all battles are unfriendly. Next. This week in the Big East. Coming up, who's hot? This week in the Big East. Who's hot? Breed grabs the rebound, pushes up the floor for Duke. Duke down the middle, finds Horkler, who jams it home from the left side. Great job by David Duke to stop. They were trying to pick up the offensive foul. He stopped on the dime and finds Horkler for the dunk. RJ behind the screen of Sonogo. Keeps his dribble. Fires down low to Sonogo, dunks. And UConn leads 10 to nothing. What a bullet pass from top of the key by R.J. Cole. And Sonogo scored six of UConn's first 10 points. Fremantle skies above the rim for the rebound for the Musketeers and transition to Kunkel. Drives a lane, throws it off the glass, falls through for two as Kunkel tumbles to the floor. Xavier on top by one. Ballock will hand off on the dribble to Damian Jefferson. Left side again to Zagorowski. Jab step three, left wing. It's good! Zagorowski with 17 first half points. The Jays have hit their last five shots to stretch it to their largest lead. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. John Rook with Kevin McNamara. 
Biggie's player of the week this week, Charlie Moore from DePaul. He has come back from a leg injury and taken him out for a couple of games. And then Moore came back to spark a win at St. John's by five points. 24 points, eight assists, six rebounds in that game. It's pretty clear for DePaul to have success. Kevin, Charlie Moore has to drive that bus. He's a vital player. There's no two ways about that, John. And, you know, really one of the better guards in the league for a team that has just had a bizarre season. You know, they've only played at midweek 14 games in the season. And, you know, to not have any preseason, I believe only one non two non-conference games. Yeah. It, it's like a season that really never got started and certainly has hurt Charlie Moore, no question. Yeah, we talked about that with Dave Lato a couple of weeks ago. The uh, Big East Freshman of the Week this week is a name that you'll probably want to remember for future reference. Colby Jones at Xavier. 16.5 points, 8.5 rebounds, and three steals in two games for the Musketeers as they come off of a COVID pause. He also shot nearly 65% from the field. I really like the way this young man looks, Kevin. At 6'5", he's got world potential. And he doesn't look like a freshman. Now, maybe he did back in uh, November, but we're in February. He's a valuable piece for Xavier. And as is Dwan Odom, I, I like, I like, he's a very good young guard as well. Xavier continues to recruit at a very high level. On the Big East honor roll, big-time names, James Booknight from UConn averaged 19.5 points and seven rebounds in a one-in-one week for the Huskies after coming off the elbow injury. Jamarco Pickett of Georgetown had 20 points on 8 of 11 shooting in a win over Seton Hall. Julian Champagny, he joined us last week, averaging a league-high 25 points for the week. Sandro Mamakilashvili, 23.5 points, eight rebounds, three-and-a-half assists in a one-in-one week for the Pirates. And Colin Gillespie from Villanova in a win over UConn. Just a ho-hum, 20 points, but two big threes late in the game to give the Wildcats some breathing room. You know, we we overlooked the season, big-time players like a Gillespie. John, the guy, does he, he may have bad games or subpar games, but not a bad game. And when he's good, Villanova is almost unbeatable and certainly will be very dangerous in the NCAA tournament. You can understand why a guy like Colin Gillespie is a finalist nationally for the Bob Cousy Point Guard Award. He's that important to his team. No two ways about it. And, you know, I think Villanova, really, the last two games, very impressive win over Connecticut. That, that, that was a huge game for the Huskies. That game felt like it had that late-season, big-time surroundings. And then they come back, and they avenge a loss to St. John's in, in really impressive fashion. Villanova's pointing in the right direction. Our blast for the past this week is a familiar one for those with a sense of Big East history. Welcome to sold-out Madison Square Garden. It's been sold out for weeks. In scalpers' terms, this is Ali Frazier 1 or the Knicks Championship. They even talk in terms of Sinatra and Springsteen concerts. There are so many historic events that have taken place in this arena, but never before until tonight, during 50 years of college basketball at Madison Square Garden, has number one played number two. Well, is John Thompson ready for this one? Take a look at this shot moments ago. He's got Luke Karnasekas' sweater on as well. Terrific scene. Thompson's got the spirit. Let's go to Carl Martin on the public address for the starting lineups now. Do you remember the sweater game? Number one, St. John's versus number two, Georgetown at Madison Square Garden happened this week, 37 years ago on February 27th, 1985. It was probably the most hyped Big East regular season game ever. 
and the Hoyas beat up on the Johnnies 85-69 with head coach John Thompson having his pregame fun with St. John's icon Lou Carnesecca and his colorful sweater by wearing a matching one of his own and revealing it to the crowd before the game. Truly a moment and a time, Kev, in Big East history few will ever forget. You know, there's oftentimes sporting events that happen in New York City that bring everyone, bring the celebrities, bring the press, bring politicians. That was one of them. And it not only was Georgetown, St. John's, it was the two best players in the country, Patrick Ewing, Chris Mullen. It had it all. And I know you're going to get to it, John. Uh, it was not, it was only the first chapter of, of a fascinating uh, rivalry that season. Right. Because as we turn the page on that one, after that night, Georgetown will go on to claim the Big East tournament a couple of weeks later. And again, they beat St. John's for the championship. And then, of course, as history holds, if you recall, the Big East put three teams in the final four that year. Just a few weeks after that, Georgetown beat St. John's again in the national semis before falling to Villanova in the title game. You kind of get a sense of how rivalries really get started when someone beats up on you like that. To this day, you know, we're talking about it and it's, you know, 30 years later, roughly 30 years later. And I think Patrick, you think about Patrick Ewing. He went on to just an all-time great, you know, Hall of Fame career with the Knicks. I think an awful lot of people still identify him as the Georgetown guy, the guy who put Georgetown <laughs> on the map. And boy, those great games against Chris Mullen and St. John's. And I absolutely love the fact that coaches everywhere across the country are wearing the John Thompson commemorative towel across the shoulder to honor the late Georgetown coach. That's, that's a fantastic gesture right there. Now that uh, NABC... I came up with the idea for everybody around the country. But interestingly and not surprisingly, several Big East coaches started that without the NABC urge right from the start of the season to honor Coach Thompson. Can the Big East or any conference ever have a moment like that one again? It's the duty of one-time Big East coach, administrator, and current NCAA poobah Dan Gavitt to see to it. The student-athletes and the fans at least get the chance to show their stuff. The latest on NCAA plans next. This week in the Big East. Coming up next, the Big East Focus. Big East Focus. Backs away, goes alley-oop to Booknight, who catches and dunks. What a great feed by RJ. Second time they've done it here tonight. And UConn leads 51-46. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. You know, we didn't get to experience March Madness a year ago. It was a crushing day for so many around the country before we really knew what the pandemic might mean to our world. How do we recover from something of this magnitude? One way is to push on as safely as possible, keep the dream and the joy alive for all of those still playing and for those still rooting for their teams. NCAA Vice President of Basketball Dan Gavitt joins us this week in the Big East. I can't imagine what your job has had to cover over the past 12 months, Danny. There will probably be another time to look back in retrospect, but I'm wondering if you could give us a sense of your journey, uh, maybe some of the highs and lows you've had in order to be able to hold March Madness this year. Well, John, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, It's been an unusual year to say the least as it has for everybody. Um, you know, the spring summer was really just, you know, a endless amount of zoom calls like it was for so many in our business in particular uncertainty, trying to be patient about learning from what others have done successfully NBA, NHL, NFL, college football and the like, but also answering unending questions that you really didn't have good answers for. Um, and trying to provide a level of confidence that we could have a season uh, safely and successfully and ultimately could have a tournament safely and successfully as well. So it was, it was no days off. I mean, literally it was, you know, weird because there wasn't as much 
work that was presented right in front of you as would be a normal year. But man, it was never ending. And then, of course, once we made decisions on when the season would start, how we'd have to do it from an operational uh, and, and medical and health perspective, um, and then all the consideration around the tournament, the first being that we decided we couldn't have the tournament in 14 different locations. It had to be in one location. Mm -hmm. Was you know was that going to be in Indianapolis or not? Um, cer certainly since the late November, December, it's been a you know daily, seven days a week, just trying to figure out all of the logistics and operational side of this. And now here we are, less well, three weeks from today, um, we'll have uh, the first games and the first four. And uh, still much to do, but we've made great progress and have uh, you know, a good plan in place that we're working hard to execute now. Well, we're certainly looking forward to the start of the NCAA tournament. It was, uh, it's a finish line. Well, I guess your finish line is probably the national championship game. But uh, for so many teams, just to get to an NCAA tournament is almost a finish line because of the, the parameters you just talked about, the, the hurdles teams had to do to get here. Dan, was there ever a time when you thought, this might not be able to happen. Not, Kevin, um, once the season started. You know, I know that there was a lot of anxiety, media, fans, certainly probably, you know, coaches and players as well about um, the disruptions that we saw right out of the gate, you know, games postponed and canceled. But frankly, we anticipated all of that. I mean, if you, if you paid close attention to what was going on, you know, this summer and, and this fall during the college football season, for the health and safety of everybody, you know, those, those co close contact, uh, contact tracing and quarantines uh, were vital to keep everybody healthy and safe and very much anticipated. I guess the only anxiety for like all of us has been, you know, was something going to happen with this pandemic that was not predictable, you know, and now we see that a little bit with the variants and, and all, but, you know, I, I thought that our institutions and conferences, you know, had really good solid plans in place. Frankly, I, I think that the safest place for student athletes has been with their teams and, and in their environments, um, getting tested on a regular basis and uh, restricted, certainly, and, and not, you know, as free and, and, and carefree as we would like a college basketball season to be. But, um, no, I really didn't have any um, concerns that we weren't going to be able to continue on as long as, as teams, coaches, players had the the, the, the passion and fortitude to continue on. And some didn't. And, and, and I have enormous respect for those very, very difficult decisions that were made by, by coaches, by student athletes, by full teams, by referees, not to you know, participate this year because of all the challenges. Um, but those that were pushing on, I, you know, great respect for the sacrifices they've made. All right, Dan. So let's, let's get to the nitty gritty here. And two words kind of come to mind, fair, equitable. How does the tournament committee decide in a year when so much is up in the air? What is fair and what is equitable from team to team? It's folly to think that everything in this college basketball season and even tournament is going to be fair and equitable. I think we've talked about that since last summer. You know, the one thing that is, that is very apparent from this pandemic is that it's not fair and equitable, that the virus knows, uh, you know, no favoritism. Um, it can affect any and all of us. And so we've gone to great lengths to mitigate that and to try to make things as fair and equitable as possible. But um, is it fair that, you know, Michigan had to go on pause with no activity for two full weeks? Is it fair that, that Howard had played only five basketball games and had to shut down their season? You know, there are things that are out of control, uh, frankly, John, of the basketball committee and of, mm -hmm. of 
of the staff here. So, you know, the challenge is you faced with comparing uh, seasons, bodies of work and resumes that are going to be different, um, in some cases dramatically different with the number of games played. But, you know, it, it will be done with the intent of being as fair and equitable as humanly possible. And I'm confident that we'll get as close to that as we can in these unusual circumstances. Uh, the committee's experienced. Um, they did a great job uh, a couple of weeks ago with the selection orientation meeting and the, and the bracket preview of the top 16 teams. You saw some of that kind of uh, be displayed during that, you know, where you had a, a Michigan team that I think had played 14 games at that time you know, compared to Ohio State team and played 20 games. And so um, that will be the case in, in a couple of weeks time when they have to make final decisions on all of it. And, and, and there will be reasonable arguments that can be made that decisions were good or bad and, and, and not as fair and equitable as possible. But I think, you know, we're, we're going to get as close as we can to that and, uh, and have a tournament. And that's the most important thing overall. And I have a specific question about the tournament and this was my fear. And I'm sure it's a fear for most teams when they get to Indianapolis, they would have had, to check a lot of boxes with testing and the protocols that you've set up. Uh, I'm ready to play the night before. And that morning, you know, one of my starters and one of my walk-ons tests positive. How, how does that team progress? Well, um, you know, as has been the case all season, Kevin, you know, if there's a positive, then uh, that per person will be isolated for their health and safety uh, given medical care. Their their um, their co uh, contact tracing will be uh, you know will be employed um, hopefully and importantly um, through that contact tracing um, the 15 minutes of combined close contact with other teammates and coaches and others around the program won't result in in those individuals being quarantined as close contacts and uh, and and not eligible to play our medical protocols. Um, should not automatically lead to a team becoming ineligible um, if they have one uh, positive test. But it's going to be up to the teams as to how they, uh, how, how disciplined they are in maintaining the masking and keeping that physical distancing at all times, unless they're on the court for practice and games. We have Connexon devices, uh, which a lot of programs have used this year, which uh, measure how close individuals have been to each other for an extended period of time, and we'll use that data as well as any video, you know, that we can use, um, you know, through the contact tracers, but um, it'll be an anxious time. It'll be an anxious time every day when, when coaches and teams are awaiting results that are going to be daily testing, but we're hopeful and, and confident if, if teams really buy in to this medic, medical protocols that it shouldn't impact an entire team. And as far as the committee is concerned, as long as there are five healthy, safe and eligible players, by the playing rules of our game, um, they'll have an opportunity to play that game. That's what our hope is, and that's what our plan is, and we're respectful of the challenges, but we'll see how it plays out. Thanks again to the NCAA's Vice President for Basketball, Dan Gavitt. Now from holding the event to teams who might become eligible for the event. Outside of the league's upper crust, who is dance-worthy? Sporting News and Fox analyst Mike DeCourcy joins us next. This week in the Big East. Coming up next, the National Perspective. The National Perspective. You know, you got Champagne out there. You got Erlington and pick and pop situations that's been playing well. Let's get a high percentage look. Erlington for three and he hits again. Morris Erlington, three point shot right side. And St. John's goes ahead 65 52. 14 points for Erlington in this game. 
Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. We're just over a couple of weeks away from brackets, invitations, dance tickets, and those snubbed and left behind. Trouble is, in the present day and age, it'll be difficult to discern what a good call is and what a bad call might be when it comes to handing out dance tickets. Mike DeCourcy covers college hoop for the Sporting News, handles the brackets for Fox Sports. He joins us this week in the Big East. Mike, have you got a sense yet over whether the tournament committee can actually do everyone justice? Or is this something we're really going to have to wade through as we all get dressed up for the dance here? And what do you feel like are the great inequities that will need to be dealt with? I think the biggest challenge to this process this year is sample size. Yeah. Uh, the, the idea that you are comparing UConn at 17 games to St. Bonaventure at, at currently at around 13 or 14 games. And then to say, uh, let's just to use them as an example, uh, St. John's, which has played 24 games. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it becomes very challenging to do that. I, I'd say one of, the, one of the key things that it does is for those teams that are in the small sample size category, like UConn, it really it, it amplifies the importance of every game because everybody has that feeling when you get down to the end of the year, Oh, you can't afford a bad loss. You need big wins. Uh, you need to stack wins in certain circumstances, depending on where your resume stands. But when you only have played 17 games, like the Huskies have a fair number of those without your best player, and you only have a handful of games left, including only one in Seton hall against a team that's a genuine tournament contender it really just, it makes the chemistry of that, of that bubble concept so much more challenging. UConn needs all the wins it can get. Uh, if, they, if they lose a game, if they were to go down the stretch at say three and one, counting the, the last, last night's Georgetown game. Well, yeah, okay, but then you're gonna have to take a bad loss or, or you're going to lose the only opportunity you have to gain a quality win. So it, it, that's why you sit there and you look at UConn and you say, how can they afford to lose at this point? So, Mike, this this begs the question, when the numbers aren't equal, not only number of games, but number of non-conference games, heck, number of conference games, does the, and I know this is, a, this is a word that upsets some people, but the eye test, I think, answers some of those questions. And to dig down on UConn a little deeper, I think the eye test would tell you that UConn with book night and without book night is the difference between a tournament team and a non-tournament team. Yeah, I, I think that's true to an extent. Uh, but even as you stand here now, I mean, they're seven and two with them, and, and they lost to two of their three most difficult games. I, I, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Are they a tournament team with him? Uh, they lost to Creighton and, at home, and they lost to Villanova on the road with him. And then they beat Southern California with him. So I'm not convinced by that. That's why I said, when I, when I discussed this on, on Fox Sports, on FS1, on uh, the postgame show following the Georgetown win, I said, look, if, if you are going to say that he's the guy that makes us a tournament team, then you got to go be awesome with it. Yeah. Second half against the Hoyas, okay, they were. Uh, but now you got to keep doing that. That feeds back into what I talked before about sample size is, okay, so if you go three and one down the stretch, again, you're either losing your your best quality win opportunity prior to the tournament, or you're losing to a team that is less than successful. And so again, you're not awesome with him. And I, I so that's why 
it, it really all sort of feeds back into itself and, it, and, and you don't really need the eye test to know whether or not with him, they're, they're a tournament team. You still need the results. You still need the numbers. Uh, you still need the names on your team sheet. To, you know, we got Seton Hall. Uh, we went to the Big East tournament and we finally took down Creighton or whatever. Uh, that, those are the kinds of things uh, that the Huskies are going to need in order to prove they're a tournament team. Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News and Fox Sports joining us here this week in the Big East. So, Mike, based on what you've seen of the Big East schools thus far this year, are there others besides the four or five, as the case may be, that you have uh, as bracket-worthy right now that you think might be able to play their way in into an opportunity if they do damage in the tournament in a couple of weeks? The only one that's really uh, in that category, John, is uh, is St. John's, and they took themselves pretty much out of at-large consideration with their play in the last week. They had that great stretch early in February and, and really started to show great promise. And I think the future is very bright for the Red Storm. Uh, but I don't think that they can get to the tournament unless the bracket lined up perfectly and somehow they played UConn, Seton Hall. And I, I don't even think even that. I, I just don't think there are enough wins in, in, in the size of league that the Big East is to get them to it, to get, to get them to March, to get them to March Madness without winning the conference tournament. I, I just don't see how it can line up that way. I, I do think that, uh, you know, at this point, Xavier, uh, there's some urgency there, got to perform. Uh, UConn has to continue, as I mentioned before. Seton Hall, same thing. All three of those teams uh, are in this are in the position of maybe not necessarily being on the bubble for Seton Hall and Xavier at this point, but the, but Xavier's trending in the direction that they could be, and Seton Hall is a few losses away from from maybe being back there. So got to continue to perform well for those three. Mike, I know you watch the Big Ten quite a bit, uh, doing some work with the Big Ten Network. Uh, clearly, the the deepest uh, league, uh, maybe probably because it has the most teams. Uh, but certainly a ton of good ones. Where is the cut line for the Big Ten as you see right now? Well, my Monday bracket had nine teams in with uh, Indiana and Maryland uh, toward the back end of that, although neither in a first four game and had Minnesota out at that point. I, I felt like uh, the, the lack of a road win. There has never been an at-large team that, that failed to win away from home. And so I felt like that, that lack of a road win to this point in a, in a trend line that was going the wrong way anyway, finally was the tiebreaker that got them out. I still think the door's wide open for them to play themselves back in there. They've got the Michigan win. They've got other high quality wins. So it's, it's wide open for them to get back in. Michigan State is, is back in the picture as well. Now they would have to do some pretty amazing things. I mean, they've got two games against Michigan They've got one against Indiana. I believe they have one against Ohio State as well. Uh, so they're going to have to do some wow. remarkable things to get into it. But after Illinois and the road Indiana win and they're playing better, you can, and, and they still have that guy named Izzo on the bench, <laughs> I don't think you can rule that out, that, that, that they could make it. Mike, how are you on the idea of playing all these games in the greater Indianapolis area? Is it the right thing to do? Yeah, absolutely. And, and for a number of reasons. One, they can control the situation better here. I, I think the biggest goal for – there are two goals for, for the, the, the committee for the NCAA. 
they want to get the 68 teams that earn bids here uh, and get them in the door, so to speak. That's that's job one. And now and obviously that job is mostly out of their control. So they're relying on those teams that are and, and leagues that are producing the teams to try to get to that place where they can enter the door and all 68 can begin the tournament. And no one has to say, oops, we're out. How heartbreaking that would be. Yeah. And number 69 uh, gets to jump in the door. I, I, they definitely don't want that. But then the second thing, it, and this is the thing that they can control uh, to an extent, uh, is to try to keep all 68 teams here until they lose a game. And they do that by controlling the hotel situation, putting together a, a very strict number of protocols uh, that, that teams have to follow both in getting here and especially once they're here in Indianapolis. Kevin, you know this very well. Um, teams that are in the tournament have that NCAA practice, and then they go off somewhere else and they have another practice. Sure. No other practices this year. No. Practice uh, at, at the NCAA-approved facility, which is the convention center here in Indianapolis, and that's where you practice and when you practice, and that's it. And if you want to walk through in your hotel ballroom, they might let you do that. I'm not even sure if that's in, in, in the approved protocols. So it, they, they want those teams to be here and, and so they can keep them here until they lose and then they can send them home. And then that way, nobody's heart's broken other than by a buzzer-beating shot. That's the sporting news and Fox is Mike DeCourcy. Who's got next? It's crunch time. It's here. And time is running out for some. The big names and matchups that will mean something are coming up. This week in the Big East. Coming up, who's got next? This week in the Big East. Who's got next? This week in the Big East. Zagorowski, little jab step on the right wing. Backs up now, curls around to the left side. Picked up on a switch by Gillespie. A little up and under move. Zagorowski's shot floats up and in. He's got 19. Blue Jays, 13-point lead. Timeout, Villanova and Jay Wright. John Rook, Kevin McNamara this week in the Big East. As far as the schedule, we're getting to the last week of the regular season. All of them are big. But let's start with Saturday and a National Westwood One game as well on the radio. Marquette plays at UConn. Survival game maybe for the Huskies, certainly for Marquette. Creighton plays at Xavier. Xavier may not have a more important game this year, Kev. Monstrous games really for Xavier and Connecticut. You know, they're both at home. Got to protect that home court. Big one for Xavier because they have a chance to get a quad one win over a Creighton team that's uh, trending in the right direction for sure. Uh, Connecticut, you know, I, I think Connecticut looks like an NCAA tournament team. They just need to show more credentials to the NCAA tournament committee. On Sunday, another nationally uh, broadcast game on Westwood One. Villanova goes on the road to play Butler. We mentioned it not only for the national status, but Butler is coming off of a home win over Seton Hall. So I think the Bulldogs, young guys are growing up a little bit. I think Butler is one of the more improved teams in the league. I don't think anyone would want to play them once we get to New York. But I believe it's a little odd because teams have not played the same number of games. Villanova is, yet again, about to clinch a regular season Big East championship. Winning at Butler is a giant step in that direction. It certainly would be. Then next week, Xavier goes on the road to play Georgetown. Marquette plays at DePaul. On Wednesday, it's the game that just about everybody's looking forward to. Creighton at Villanova. Maybe it's a seeding game. You know, if, if the Big East regular season title is still in flux, that could be a seeding game, John. Villanova, I think, can still get as high as a two, in my mind, a two seed. If they were to lose that game and maybe not win the Big East tournament, 
Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they could slip down to a four. So big game for both teams. And obviously two other possible play-in games as well. UConn will play at Seton Hall. Providence plays at St. John's that night. Providence, as Ed Cooley said earlier, they don't want to get swept by anybody. And St. John's really dominated Providence up in Rhode Island uh, last month. So the Friars looking to avenge that loss. <laughs> Crunch time. It has arrived, or as Billy Joel would sing, pressure, right? Our thanks to Providence's Ted Cooley, NCAA Vice President for Basketball, Dan Gavin, and the Sporting News and Fox Sports Analyst, Mike DeCourcy, for joining us. Thanks, as always, to our flagship radio stations for the broadcast and highlight assistance. Thanks to our producer, Kevin Collins, executive producer, John Paquette. Thanks to the coaches and administrators at all 11 Big East member institutions. For Kevin McNamara, I'm John Rook. Our Twitter handles at JR Broadcaster at Kevin McNamara33. Hashtag twit me if you've got questions. We'll join you again right here, same time next week for this week in the Big East. Thanks for listening to This Week in the Big East. Special thanks to our member schools as well as their athletic departments. This Week in the Big East is produced by Kevin Collins. The executive producers are John Paquette and Rick Gentile. Be sure to join us next week for the latest edition of This Week in the Big East.